Hey, this is Mark, and I'm back with another amazing podcast called Finding Your Summit, all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way. And this week, we've got a guy named Tim Kennedy. And Tim is an American badass, pretty much is what he is. He's an MMA fighter. Uh, He went off and became a ranger. He's a Green Beret. He's been involved in multiple conflicts overseas in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's part of the group that took out the number two guy to bin Laden. You know, really trying to find his way in life, he had to overcome kind of being a punk. I mean, he describes it not necessarily like that, but he was just making a series a series of, of bad choices for many years. And and I think when he ultimately went off into the uh, to the military after college, um, he really grew up and he had some great mentors around him that put a lot of discipline into his life. He's overcome a lot, right? And uh, he's one of the guys, the true heroes, uh, in my eyes at least, that's out there trying to protect the country, is a proud American, and now is really giving back in terms of trying to teach other people how to uh, defend themselves, almost like it was back in 19 or 1774, as he described. So Tim Kennedy on the pod today, pretty intense podcast. So I'm excited to go through that. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by, by Violets or Blue Skincare Line. And uh, Cynthia Besteman is a cancer survivor. She, uh, out of adversity, her own adversity, she developed this product line. And it's fantastic. I use it and I recommend that for you. So check that out, violetsorblueskincare.com. And as always, if you want to check out what I'm up to, you can do so at www.markpattisonnfl.com. And you can see about my uh, climbs that are upcoming. You can tap into my Facebook fan page, my Instagram, and please, if you know anybody out there that would be great for this podcast, send them my way. I always respond. I love to engage with my uh, my audience, okay? So on that note, let's go talk to Tim. Here we go. Hey, this is Mark. I'm back with another epic episode of Finding Your Summit. This week, we've got Tim Kennedy, American badass, to say the least. This guy has... Uh, served in the military. We'll get into that. He is a MMA fighter and uh, he's he's so much more. So look forward to talking to Tim. He's beaming all the way from Austin, Texas. I am here in my home studio in Sun Valley, Idaho. Tim, how you doing? I am spectacular. Awesome. Awesome. Always great to hear when people are spectacular. All right. So you've got a whole lot of things going on, and um, I, I, I always like to kind of reset things and go back to where people uh, began. Um, you did grow up in California, and I, w- I was looking at your background because, again, we're going to get into this whole military element of, of how you've spent a, uh, certainly a significant amount of time in your life. But, um, you know, considering where you are today, you have this look like a great blend from your parents, your mom was out teaching you and sending you to cooking school and how to play the piano. And meanwhile, your dad was throwing you in these, these boxing, wrestling, and jiu-jitsu um, type lessons to, I don't know, toughen you up or just give you exposure to the other side. But how was that growing up? It was exactly what I needed. I had um, perfect parents. Uh, I think if you look at my I don't even know if you want to call it adult, but if you, if you look at um, when I have been mostly in control of my own life, uh, you will see a reoccurring theme is that I cannot stop. Like I cannot hold still. I cannot stop moving forward. I cannot like quit executing. Um, so they saw a middle child that was either 
a cocaine addict or had a lot of energy. Um, so they did what a good parent would do. Uh, I was not on cocaine as a four-year-old. Um, they, uh, they, they just put me in absolutely positively everything they could to keep me um, active. Uh, idle hands um, are devil's tools. So you know that, that stuff? You know, If I was not busy, I would do some pretty <laughs> horrific things. Yeah, there, there's nothing worse than idle time for a teenager, right? Growing up, yeah, not necessarily yeah. even a yeah. teenager, but time, you know, nine, ten, all those things. And so my my parents more or less did the same thing uh, with me. In in turn, uh, I've I had I have two girls. They're now twenty twenty two, but going through all the different adolescents and and, and yeah, I mean, they were literally in every single sport. So it's, I told them just like my dad told me, you're either going to work. Or you're going to be in, involved in the sport or play or acting or something, and that's what they did. And it just you know just helps develop so many different things. And and so it sounds like that was the right path for you to, to kind of harness all the energy that you had. Yeah, I mean, I would be in prison, you know, without without a doubt. <laughs> if um, my parents are just incredible, you know, and it, and it set up uh, for a pretty unique opportunity. Uh, you know, as, as I was moving into college and grad school as a multi-sport athlete, even into college and, um, you know, the opportunity to have choices, you know, to have so many different options, you know, is what every parent wants. Um, and, and that's what I had, you know, by no design of my own, because if I had any control of my life up to that point, um, I, I would have, you know, be, been dead. So it, it worked out. Thank God. Yeah, no, that's great. So, you know, look, we, we are all exposed to different sports. I'm sure you were too. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that you, you did some boxing and, and other things like that. But, but um, you know, for me, it was the, the traditional baseball, football, basketball, you know, type type things. But at the end of the day, end of the day they're just activities. Um, where did the whole MMA – because I grew up in my era. I'm a little bit older than you are. And, you know, my day it was all about boxing. I mean, it, it was – you know, when Muhammad Ali then uh, evolved into to Mike Tyson, and then there was the whole Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns and, and, and Duran and all those guys. And it was just, you know, when they'd have a big boxing match like that, everybody would show up. And, and, and I think in the later years, that kind of evolved into this whole MMA. And so when you decided to jump into, into that, what was kind of the motivating factor? Were you just better than everybody else at that time? I mean, your record is, is extremely impressive. Uh, I was just ahead of the curve. It wasn't that I was better than everybody. Um, I, I started doing a myriad of martial arts very, very early. Uh, d- different striking disciplines from karate, um, grappling uh, disciplines like Japanese jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, and then more striking with Hawaiian tempo and Muay Thai kickboxing. Um, so by the time, you know, I'm like 18, 19 years old, uh, everybody – in early MMA, if you look at like UFC one through 10, there were guys that were like good at one thing. And those, and and it was really just a measurement of which guy was better or which thing was better than the others. And that's why Hoist Gracie became famous because jujitsu was a, a better discipline that translated better into fighting than the other ones. Even though he was a, a small kind of a fragile built guy, um, you know, he was choking out and, and tapping out some of the most massive 
giant violent dudes on the planet um and that that is where i was ahead of the game where i was decent at boxing i was decent at wrestling i was decent at jiu-jitsu i was decent at kickboxing so like if you know a wrestler i actually do walk in with these big chunky cauliflower ears i'd be like sweet i'm gonna knock this guy out and then if this dude walks in and you see his nose is just mush you'd be like oh awesome i'm gonna choke this guy out you know it was it was so easy back then um to be able to take somebody out of their comfort zone if you were good or decent at a few different things. Um, and that's kind of how I amassed that record so early uh, was just because guys were only good at one thing and I was okay at a few. Yeah, well, that, you know, 30 and 1 over five years is pretty amazing. And, and you know, look, I am kind of a – I know about MMA, but I'm not obviously on the level that you are at or in between. Um, so take me to today in terms of the whole McGregor, that whole – you know, Dana White world. Is that just the evolved place that you're talking about where you were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, when all these, you know, the UFC and all that stuff was really mature like it is today? Were you just, you know, before kind of all that stuff hit? Um, I guess I would be the second generation um, when I got to, you know, when I'm fighting for world titles. Um, you know, I, I had wins over Robbie Lawler and Michael Bisping, two UFC champions. I just, was a little bit early. You know, if you look at the J curve of how the sport has skyrocketed, um, I'm, I'm the second generation of what is kind of the marquee names that you know. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, Hoist Gracie, um, Ken Shamrock, and Frank Shamrock, and then moving into Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell, uh, Randy Couture, right on the heels of them came, you know, the me, Robbie Lawler, uh, Josh Koscheck, you know, guys that won and lost titles in, in a period of time where, you know, only people that were purists in the sport knew anything about. Uh, but I don't think we were quite mainstream yet. I think Connor and Ronda Rousey really are the ones that brought MA to a regular household. Yeah, no, just just incredible, you know, where that sport has grown today. And going back to the whole boxing analogy, you know, it, it just seems like on today's, you know, level, uh, MMA has really become the predominant sport of when you start talking about, you know, boxing or fighting from what it was many, many years ago, um, which is just, you know, sometimes that's just the way things go. And I don't know if, if there's going to, again, ever be a, a guy like Mike Tyson or just those guys with that same type of talent now go towards MMA if that's, you know, the way that's going to go, what are your thoughts? Man, the, uh, just this week, HBO announced that they are going to discontinue, um, doing live event boxing. Now, if if you're going to look at a, an example, something that really demonstrates where the the sport of boxing is, um, that might be it. You know, guys, Floyd Mayweather, you can't get a more boring fighter than that. The dude's 50, you know, you know, like I fall asleep by the fourth round watching that guy fight. Um, you know, the only reason people end up watching him fight is to see if he can just amass another wet record by not really ever fighting anybody. Um, he lures guys like Connor into, um, you know, these, these arguments that really just play into his wheelhouse where he gets to fight at his weight in his ring, in his style of fighting, just to make a huge payday. And um, he's, I, I don't think he's a great fighter. He's good at not getting hit. He's a contributing factor to boxing dying. 
Um, the, even it's horrific thinking that Mike Tyson bit a dude's ear off, you know, but at the time you're just like, dude, this guy is a maniac. You know, he's going to prison. He's knocking every single person out that, that steps in front of him. And then up comes Holofield and like, you know, they go toe to toe for an entire fight. And number two comes around and off goes an ear and you're like, this is crazy. And that, you know, that, that's some exciting stuff. Not well, it was also a little dancing. MMA for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what, what were your thoughts about – we're going off the track a little bit here. But what, what were your thoughts about this craziness that happened on this last fight where the, the, the guy you know, jumped out of the, uh, out of the ring, um, out of the cage, you know, jumped in the audience and just yeah. went berserk on McGregor's guys? Well, um, Khabib – so Connor talks a lot of crap and he promotes a fight. Yeah, um, and that's 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 his job. Uh, Khabib doesn't talk crap or promote fights. He 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 comes from a place, you know. If, if you look at it, the former Soviet Union countries, the Dagestan's, the Kyrgyzstan's, the Uzbekistan's, um, those are countries where where respect is a legitimate currency. You know, like if if you. Um, your honor and your integrity and the fear that other people have of you is how you can make a living. That That's a currency, and that's where he comes from. And he's sitting down with Putin, and he, his, his dad back home is hanging out with legitimate radicals, as are some of his cousins. Um, and he is, you know, Khabib, very connected to a very dark world and a dark side that I don't think most Americans can comprehend uh, or understand. So when you disrespect a guy like that, that comes from a place like that, that kid was wrestling bears, real bears, not not like make-believe or like, like bears. Khabib wrestled bears as a kid just to garner respect for his family and to get better at wrestling. And when you disrespect a guy like that and his family and his religion and his place of birth and his team, um, even though I don't like most of those things about him, you have really crossed a line in his world. And, um, and what we saw was how a guy like that from a place like that, from um, a culture like that is going to respond when you attack those things about it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it, it was crazy, but it's all about perspective, right? You yeah. You're talking about. Okay, so you, you, you now graduate from high school, you go off into college. And so I, I want to know what was going through your mind when you decided to join the Army in 2004. Uh, I was pissed off. Uh, so I, I was on the, on the recruiter's doorstep on September 11th, 2001. Yep. You know, banging on doors, banging on windows with a few thousand other people, and figuring out where I was going is is what took a while. And the process of going from you know Navy to Marines to Army, and you know all of them telling you different things, and finally ultimately deciding to go to Special Forces within the Army, and you know they're like, hey, we want you to finish grad school, so we're going to put you on a an, an IRR, which is like a which is like a delayed enlistment program where you're kind of in, but you're not in until you head to basic training, but you can't get out. You know, you're locked into your contract. Not that I was angry, but it was at a time, it was a period of my life where I was doing so many dumb things, so many things that were not in the best interest of anybody besides my own personal gratification that um, when watching those towers fall, 
shook me to the core. Yeah. Uh, it, it made me value everything about my life, everything that I was doing, everything that I was um, wasting. You know, I had all these God-given talents. I was good at a lot of things, and I was just a piece of crap. You know, I was a horrible human. Um, had a couple of women pregnant. Thought I had AIDS. Uh, you know, and just wasting away every God-given opportunity that I had. And, and hard-earned opportunity on my parents' part. You know, like they gave gave me every single option to to be successful. And then just watching those people die, and watching people sit there, look back into a building, and and have to make the decision of: Am I going to burn alive, or am I going to jump to my death? You know, to this day, still shakes me. Um, and I think back to who I was, and 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 how. Not that if I was different, it would have prevented anything. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is like it was just such a wake up of I have to do something, not just for my country, not just for the people that died there, not just for the because the people that did this are evil and not just because but because maybe even a little selfishly, like because if I don't do something, I might as well just have been one of those people that died there because my life will be a complete waste. Yeah. So yeah, so, yeah no, so you're packing a lot of a lot of stuff in there. Um so a lot of what you're talking about then was you've got this pent up energy, which by the way, a lot of guys have a lot of kids in general, girls and guys, and it just depends on how you want to channel that. So we're talking about a maturity level that you probably didn't have at that time. And so you're channeling things in the wrong way and being destructive, whatever that meant. But it sounded like it was a defining moment of 9-11 happening for you then to sign up you enlist, and did the enlistment then give you the discipline to catch up with your maturity to then start making the right decisions? Oh, you would think so if, if I was a smart person. Um, but, but what happened, again, you know, I just, I'm, I'm thrusted into a world that I immediately am excelling at. I'm the best shot in the company. I have the highest physical PT score. Um, I'm coming in with the highest... You know, you take a bunch of a battery of tests to go to special forces, and you kind of have an idea of what your scores are, um, like what languages you're going to be getting, and um, how you're going to, what job you're going to get. Um, so, you know, even in airborne school, right after infantry school, right after basic training, you know, I'm on a grad of this and that, and like my, my again, my ego and my pride is just swelling. And um, uh, by the time I get to the special forces qualifying course, I, you know, I, I think I'm. I think I'm the shit and, and I'm not, you know, I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to be um, breathing the same air as the rest of the heroes that are there. And, um, and like the wake up call from nine 11, what then occurs for the next two years is just wake up call after wake up call after wake up call of me essentially getting humiliated and slapped in the face by the decisions that I'm making until eventually uh, I start slowly doing fewer things that are dumb. <laughs> so who was that influence then that, you know, again, you go back to what you just said, which is all about as you're taking these different physical tests, you're passing them, you're scoring the highest, you've got all these great marks. I'm sure there's a bunch of kudos coming your way. You know, was there a certain um, person, military person that was, was there or somebody non-military that was, you know, there to set you right, even though they could see all this talent? was really trying to get you back in balance. Oh, uh, yeah. So in, in the, I'm not sure if you – so after 9-11 happens, um, 
some guys from fifth special forces group immediately went to Afghanistan. And that was the first time since the Gulf War that special forces had been actively engaged in combat. Uh, we pretty much missed uh, Desert Storm. Schwarzkopf didn't have a, a didn't hold special operations in high esteem, and he used a primarily traditional ground warfare to overwhelm Saddam Hussein in, in Gulf War. Yes. When you, um, which by the way worked. Oh, beautifully! Like it, and we should have gone all the way into Baghdad and taken Saddam off. And had we done that, who knows what would have happened? But uh, we didn't, so we stopped, and ultimately we end up back in Iraq, uh, looking for weapons of mass destruction, and um, in Afghanistan after nine eleven. The men that were initially in Afghanistan were were valuable. They were priceless. They were a commodity that that nobody else had, which was special operation Green Berets that had been to combat and came back to the special operations community as instructors. Um, those were those were my instructors. Yeah. So. It is a pretty humbling thing when you're standing here being lectured, when you're being, um, when you're doing push-ups because you just screwed up, and the dude standing over you that's counting your reps just got back from, you know, being outnumbered two hundred to one, um, you know, by mujahideen, evil terrorists. So it was um, incredible to, to be surrounded by guys like that. And, um, and so they, they, they were shaping who, who we were, this new group of upcoming soldiers. Um, and then once I got to the ODAs, you know, guys like John McPhee, the sheriff of Baghdad, he was my first team sergeant. He brought me over to a special unit and was my team sergeant during my first deployment. Um, and again, I thought I was amazing. I was doing all these great things and everybody's going to like sing my praises. And I get back from what is without a doubt, one of the best missions that, um, the special forces group that I was in had ever been on. You know, we were in, a few hundred um, enemy combat missions uh, with no casualties, and we pretty much just kicked ass and take, took names, you know? Like, total success. We find the number two bad guy on the planet. We're part of the task force that brings down Zarqawi. So, like, I'm thinking I'm getting silver stars and pats on the back. And instead, he's like, hey, you're immature. You're going to go to ranger school, and you're going to be honor graduate, or you don't get to come back to this unit. Like, you are so undeserving to be here and uh that that was um humbling yeah and again another uh, another slap in the face of, of me learning just um how quickly i needed to uh mature hey let me ask you this uh so i i i and I'm, i i think this is the right answer uh, or the right question you, that you are both a Green Beret and a Ranger. And if that is the case, then why the separation of the two? Not that they aren't great and great accomplishments, but you know, if you're a Green Beret, aren't you just a Green Beret? And if you're a Ranger, aren't you just a Ranger? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bunch of things. Um, I guess if you're going to put it all together, I'm a Special Forces Sniper Ranger Qualified Green Beret. Um this podcast is brought to you by Laird Superfoods. Let me tell you, these creamers are so amazing. They're super tasty, super delicious, and what they are is whole, 
natural food ingredients mixed into these creamers. And I, I'm telling you, when you put this, this stuff into your drink, these powder substance, it is amazing. And their whole tagline is all about fueling your journey. You cannot go and actually power your way up a mountain, uh, be in the pool, ride a big wave, uh, unless you're properly fueled. And these guys are doing it all the right way. So where can you find this? At LairdSuperfood.com. And here's the kicker. If you use the, the, the code name Mark. P20, that's Mark P20, you're going to get 20% off on your first order. So check it out, LairdSuperfood.com. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bunch of things. Um, I guess if you're going to put it all together, I'm a Special Forces Sniper Ranger Qualified Green Beret. Um, so there's different tiers in, in, in the Special Operations community. And as you kind of like start getting further up towards the tip of the spear, um, there's a lot of different specialties for a lot of different jobs. And those are qualifications and distinctions that kind of like separate people when you start getting further up to that point. There's a unit that is the Rangers, and that's the 75th Ranger Regiment. Yeah. Uh, they are, while they are part of the special operations community, they are not Green Berets. Um, Rangers have to go to the Special Forces Qualifying Course, and from the Special Forces Qualifying Course, they go to the Q Course, and then after being trained in the Q Course, they earn their Green Beret, and they go to an ODA. Um, the Rangers are a light infantry special operations unit that is separate from Special Forces, which are the Green Berets. Yep. Um, I have a Ranger tab which means that I went to Ranger School and graduated from Ranger School, but I'm a Green Beret first and foremost. Right. And so what's the difference in terms of – because I know at the end of the day all you guys work together. What What is the difference between a SEAL and a Green Beret in terms of tasks and duties? Um, SEALs do not do unconventional warfare. So foreign internal defense, uh, joint combined exercise for training. Um, so like when we – when I go overseas behind enemy lines, 12 Strong is a great example yep. of what Green Berets do. And by the way, great um, movie. That's what you're talking it about. Is, it's a decent movie. Well, I'm, uh, saying, I'm saying the theme of the movie. Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying, that it's a decent movie. But the theme in, in terms yeah. of when you put it's a powerful yourself, story like, it actually, and, it, and it really it demonstrates what Green Berets do, unlike anybody else on the planet. And this is why we are the most dangerous fighting force that everybody fears is because you can take 12 of us. And you can drop us into a place, and we will uh, will pass. We'll be able to move through different cultural divides, languages, um, religious differences, and be able to find camaraderie and build a uh, a mutual respect and understanding with uh, somebody that shares an overall objective or a goal. So in Afghanistan, initially, it was to find the people that caused and trained the, the people that executed 9-11 and killed them. So we sent in 12 guys and we linked up with a bunch of guys that um, had been fighting communists for the past 30 years and um, and we created an army of, of a few thousand to go and try and fight them. A Navy SEAL, uh, you know, they like clap their hands and they jump for balls. Um, I'm kidding, uh, but, but not really. Uh, <laughs> Friendly camaraderie. The Navy SEALs, like, I would never want to get in a gunfight with them on a boat. Like, that's crazy. Um, I wouldn't want to actually be on the water 
while they're within in, in, in a combat capacity while they're doing anything within 100 miles of me. Uh, they are just so dangerous and deadly. While Special Forces has their own um, underwater demolition school and their own um, underwater combat school uh, as a combat diver, it's uh, the Navy SEALs are very unique and specially trained to do these one things, which is direct action on near or by the water. So what, t- uh, tell me then when, when we start talking about bin Laden, when they took him out, um, on that one night, ignorance of Obama. Oh, really? Okay. There, there, there were units that were way better prepared, trained and capable to execute that mission. Um, and if you look at the shenanigans that have happened since then, from the crash of the helicopter to the writing of books to the misuse of um, uh, the information that was garnered from that, uh, yeah, again, it's just not within their wheelhouse of what they should be executing. This is one man's opinion. Um, obviously, this one man is in the Army and very proud of, of the units that he works with. You know, If you go back and you look at some of the other people that have been taken from Saddam Hussein to Uday Nusay, Saddam Hussein's kids to Zarqawi, and you try and find out who did that, it's nearly impossible. You're like, wait, I didn't know Saddam had two crazy sons that were you know, pretty much leading the, the post-Saddam uh, Iraq in the terrorist insurgent efforts. I'm like, yeah, you didn't know that because we caught them. And, um, and it was a huge gunfight and they died very badly. And wait, how did Saddam get caught? You know, nobody knows. Well, we, we know, um, you know, you're not going to hear any book. You're not going to read any books about it. Cause that's not what, what guys like that do, you know, nor do we crash helicopters during our infill and have to have a C-130 blow it up from the sky. Uh, you know, just, it's, it's different skill sets and, you know, all the way back to, to having the right leaders that understand how to employ the right units. It's, it's, it is a, it's a lot more complex than people think. Sure. So, so now you go and you, you, you do all that. You, you, um, you know, just amazing. And I'm sure that you're in some incredible battles and you get out. And now in 217, you reenlist in the army special forces. Why was that? Um, I, I never had a break in service. I was, uh, I'm not good at losing. Yep. It's, uh, it's really hard to, like, uh, you know, on a sports people, they're like, yeah, losing's not fun. Man, losing when you're at war is a different kind of not fun. It's going to, like, I can't sit down and write the names of my friends that are dead now. Yeah. Like, I can't do it. I can't remember all of their names. There's so many of them. There was a period of time where I was, like, going to a funeral every other week, you know, and then it's like I was, I was hanging out with, um, you know, widows and and um, taking my buddies, my dead buddies' kids to their soccer practices. And then it got to a point where, like, you don't have enough time to do those things. And then it got to a point where you can't even remember the names of the dudes that you used to do that for. Um, that's, what, that's what losing feels like in my world. And if you look at my friends that are missing arms and missing legs and missing eyes and um you know they're rattled to the core with pretty serious ptsd tbi cte um that's what losing feels like uh it's 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 a pretty crappy thing to lose at war there were eight years where we were not winning and that that hurts that is um 
the creation of ISIS. Uh, there was not ISIS when I was in Iraq. It's because we were killing everybody that was bad. You know, there was we were not we were not losing fire bases in Afghanistan to the Taliban. You know, in two thousand and five and two thousand six, it's because we were killing everybody. You know, like when you get into like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, like we were just crushing people. And then then things changed. Um, administrations changed. Uh, the the effort that went into the war changed, and we just started driving through the desert to get blown up, and that freaking sucks. Yeah, of course. Uh, you were given the Valor Award. What was that all about? Um, it had to do with uh, Zarqawi. Um, yep. So he was, you know, Bin Laden's number one. Yep. He's pretty much ahead of uh, Taliban and in Iraq. We had Zarqawi, and yep. Zarqawi was, uh, if you've seen the movie uh, American Sniper, yep. uh, if, if you look on the wall, he was trying to find Zarqawi's enforcer. That's who Chris Kyle was targeting, yep. was some of the enforcers for Zarqawi. And if you look at the wall, um, and you go all the way up to the very top, the dude at the very top was the guy that we were going after, and um, and my unit was part of the task force that brought him down. So a guy like that, I mean, it just seemed like every time there's a broadcast by Bin Laden or, or this guy you're talking about, and I, I and I clearly remember it. It always seemed like it was being broadcast from some cave or you know some decrepit old broken down building or whatever. I mean, did, did those guys ever make it out in, in public at all, or were they just constantly like little rats hiding under rocks? Uh, yeah, I, I, I respect rats more. Oh, I respect cockroaches more. Um, these are just despicable, disgusting, impotent human beings that do the worst atrocities that one human can do to another. Um, the things that they do to kids and women, like I, I can't, we could never even say on this, you know, this podcast. Yeah. Um, and um, and the way that they broadcast is no different. You know, they're going to hide in the shadows and they're going to act like tough guys. Um, you know, in, in 2015 and 2016, uh, you know, ISIS was effectively trying to find and kill me. And they were recruiting people in Texas to try and come and get me, like a lone wolf radical. Yeah. Um, and just to demonstrate how cowardly they were, I went on Fox News and I gave out my home address. Um, you know, they don't care. This life, like here, here's where I live. And of course, they would never even imagine to have the balls to do that because that's not who they are. What they're going to do is they're going to find some poor, uneducated, um, ostracized, excommunicated segment of a society. They're going to recruit from there and they're going to put them in a dump truck and have them drive across a bridge in Paris. You know, like they don't have the balls to do anything else. Yeah, they're hiding in caves, recording things. Well, listen, dude, I need you to move to Sun Valley, Idaho. <laughs> move down the street from me because I know they're not coming after you. Uh, <laughs> no. All right, listen, so so, so uh, um, it, it seems like what you've done post your active duty um, is really um, put together kind of this whole sheepdog response. Um, uh, business is probably the wrong word, but, you know, really trying to educate people on on how to to protect themselves, be much more aware of what's going on. Really using your MMA skills, your 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 shooting skills, your awareness, your self uh, combat uh, batting um, uh, skills that you've learned, you know, throughout these different years 
to really, you know, hone that and teach others, uh, really paying it forward. Yeah. I mean, Reagan didn't get a lot right. Um, with the trickle down theory. Um, so we, we have a lot, uh, the special operations community, I mean, some of the more elite units within special operations. And what we're trying to do is get that down to everybody. You know, if you go back to kind of the beautiful beginning of this country, if you go back to 1774, um, the beginning of the, the revolutionary war and, um, we had a bunch of badasses walking around through the woods. You know, George Washington was one pretty tough Muldoon. And, um, and all the dudes that were with him were some pretty tough jabronis. Um, you know, like, yeah, they're going to, they're, they're going to go across a big frozen river on Christmas Eve and kill you in your sleep. That's who they were. Um, and that's, 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 those are, the beginnings, that's the genesis of, of who we are as a country. Um, and then you kind of look at, at what we've been for the past 15 or 20 years, post-Vietnam. You know, like we have had really, really good times. We have had economic prosperity. We have become the most rich nation on the planet. We have also become the fattest nation on the planet. We have also become the laziest nation on the planet. And with good times, you know, create soft men. And, um, and I'm scared what the future would look like uh, if we continued to have soft men both running the country, making decisions for my kids. You know, if I, if I have an entitled rich prick making the decisions about what kind of jobs my beautiful daughters are going to be able to have access to and um, what job my son is going to have to go and do, maybe go fight a war for somebody to go put money in their pocket. I'm going to take issue to that. So that's sheep dog responses. Like you said, it's a lot more than a, um, than a business, you know, it's, it's hopefully a wake up call. It's a, not a revolution, but it is a, it is an initiative to wake up as many people as I can to be like, Hey, you gotta get some calluses on your hand. You gotta feel what real work feels like. You gotta, you gotta change your mind. You gotta change your spirit. You gotta change your soul. You gotta be a better husband, a better father, a better employee and a better, a better American. So, Tell me what happens. I mean, walk me through this. So now I am. I'm interested. So so there, you have a website, right? And and you have all this information. And, and by the way, what is the name of the website? Sheepdogresponse.com. Great. Okay. So now I go on sheepdogresponse.com and and I can sign up for courses, right? I see there's also videos too. And and they come and do you actually have a, a gathering in Austin or someplace else where you're going through this training program with them or how does that work? Yeah, so the kind of the, the introduction, the introduction into kind of this world is a crash course of what it feels like to 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 train and live in as part of a warrior society. You know, if you look at warrior societies of past, um, you see beautiful cultures that did incredible things. You know, they um, some of the best music, art, philosophy, poetry came from warrior societies, the Samurais, the Spartans, the Greeks, the Romans. And um, if you look at the warrior culture now from special operations, uh, arguably some of the, maybe the best fighting force that have ever existed in human history is the current version of special operations across all of our branches. You come to this crash course and you learn about atmospheric biometrics. You learn how to profile. You learn how to be situationally aware. You learn what it feels like to be sore, how to fight, how to fight for a gun, how to fight for a knife. You learn how to shoot. You learn how to eat. You learn um, You learn some 
the basic fundamentals and principles of of what it means to be somebody that can protect themselves, can protect their family, protect their freedom. And then you have uh, like you're not going to learn everything you can learn that you need to learn in two or three days. What you're going to learn is the course, the path. The, the direction, the the road, the avenue, whatever. You, you're going to learn what you need to do to get better at these things. Yeah. And um, we have a place here in Austin that we bring a lot of people to, but we also travel every single month all over the country. Um, I think next month we're in New Jersey. Um, we're taking uh, December off, and then January we're in Las Vegas. Uh, we have three courses the week before SHOT Show. In Las Vegas, and then yep. February we are in uh, um, Virginia, and then March we're back here in Texas. Um, so, you know, we we try to get all over the country and spread the spread the knowledge, spread the wealth of information. Um, I have a pool of instructors, unlike anywhere on the planet. You know, from all branches of special operations from Navy SEALs to Army Green Berets to um, Marine Recon to CID to you know, the list goes on to who these people are that teach for us. Um, and uh, they're, they're pretty passionate about it like me. Yeah, I know. You know, the thing that's really cool listening to this whole story is that, um, you know, it really fits into this whole mode of finding your summit, right? Over, all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way. And, you know, when we go back to the beginning of this pod, you're talking about it was really about you, about really trying to figure out how you channel all that kind of energy that, that it, you know, at times it was negative. And, and as you live today, you're out there spreading the good word. You're teaching people how to protect themselves. Uh, and there's, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's bad things going on here in the, in, the, in the U.S. and, you know, obviously, you know, worldwide too. But, but at the end of the day, it's really paying it forward on the things that you've been taught. And you certainly have matured to a, a place where you're just trying to, to, to impart that knowledge to other people so that they can stand up and fight, you know, for themselves if, you know, if, if those things ever come up in their lives. As we were trying, fortunately, I'm surrounded by like-minded, barrel-chested freedom fighters that, um, that, you know, won't let me get too far off the path. Um, I'm still pretty easily distracted and, and I'll be like, Oh, we got to do this and this and this and this. So like, you know, man, this is our mission. This is our purpose. This is what we're doing. And they kind of bring me back. So we're, uh, we're trying to do all the right stuff and, and, uh, I'll be damned until uh, I'm going to die until I stop, you know, like you're going to have to kill me. No, that's awesome. So, so listen, yeah, I, I've also, uh, in, in my research, I saw that you were on a, uh, a couple different shows on the history channel and discovery channel. Um, Tell me what hard to kill, hard to kill is all about. Hard to kill is still in the same vein. Um, you know, there's a bunch of hardworking Americans that do crazy, dangerous jobs that nobody knows about, nobody appreciates. Um, jobs that we we get to live in comfort and um, get to relax and you know hop in our cars and drive to work and pick up our our crappy coffee from Starbucks. You know, all because there's somebody out there doing something that makes our life so simple. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you pick up your phone, you don't think about the guy that has to climb and scale that that tower to change the light bulb or that guy that has to run the power cord to that tower that's out in the middle of nowhere through the mountains using explosives. You know, when you're um, when you're in Alaska and you're like, oh, this is so beautiful um, and you're taking a helicopter tour. 
there was somebody that got in that helicopter for the first time. There's no crash test dummies in aviation. You know, they're like, hey, do you think this, uh, this helicopter is going to fly? And then I was like, I don't know. Well, let's go find out. And they go and see if it flies. <laughs> it's freaking crazy. Um, but that's how it works. The same with planes, with aviation. You know, the Wrights brothers, like those are some ballsy dudes. And by the time we get into the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and we're making our way to the moon, um, you know, it was like one in three test pilots are dying. Just so now we can hop on a 747 and uh, and wait for our peanuts and our beverage service. Um, yeah, you want to go see Grandma over Christmas? There's somebody that died making it possible. Um, so that's what the show is about: was going finding these jobs, these extraordinary people that do these incredible things that that make sacrifices every day. Um, and uh, and I go and I try and do those jobs, and I learn about the people. That must be just incredible to do that. I mean, what, talk about an adventure. Yeah, it's humbling. That's what it was. Um, you know, again, I like back to the pride and ego. Like, you look at my resume, and you're like, this guy's not real. You know, top top five in the world as a fighter, fights for two world titles. He's a Green Beret. He's a sniper. He's a ranger. He's been in combat a bunch of times. He's killed a bunch of dudes. You know, and then like I go on a fly, I try and fly a plane, and I can't even do the math to figure out how fast we have to go to take off. You know, like okay, he's an idiot. Got it. You know, um, so it was just again an opportunity to just learn how much I don't know about so many things, and um, and a new appreciation for the people that sacrifice a lot. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. You know, I I've, I guess some people would look at my resume and say something similar. I mean, obviously we're talking about an apple and an orange, but. At the same time, I don't feel like I've done anything because there's so many more things in the world I have not accomplished versus the things I have accomplished, you know, on the on the, the, the two columns on the left and the right. So that's what also makes uh, life uh, should be an adventure for everybody. You know, it's all about growing and learning. And if you're not growing, you're dying. And so yeah. you know, there's only one way for me and that's up. And I know that's your same uh, motto. So you, you put this life that you have together all in one package and now you're writing a book. When do you think that's coming out? Um, I think I'll be done, uh, in the next month with, uh, with the pen and paper, you know? And then, and then there's like the editing process and the publisher gets to say about it. And then, uh, and then it's proof checking. And just because of the things that I've done, it has to go through DOD and DOD has to approve it. Um, but I think I'll be done writing in the next four weeks to six weeks. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not, like, it's not a biography. Um, you know, it's, it's my opinion about the making of a man. Um, it's about, it's about what we need to be as a society and, and, and as individuals. Um, I say man in, in, like, in a gender neutral way. I'm like the, the strength of a human. Like what does it take to, to succeed at this thing that we call life? And I use stories from my life, mistakes, mostly mistakes, because I don't really do a lot of great smart things in my life. And I, it is a raw, exposed dossier of all of these dumb things that I do and somehow survive um, and give lessons learned about how to hopefully make this world a better place. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. And where can people find you? Where's the best spot? 
Dude, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm on the social things, you know, um, Instagram, it's Tim Kennedy MMA, Twitter, it's Tim Kennedy MMA, uh, Facebook, it's Tim Kennedy. I think if you look up Tim Kennedy MMA, it kind of brings me up. Um, everything's verified. So I'm, I'm, uh, if you look, look for that blue dot or that blue check mark, um, and, uh, and I, I, I put my workouts on there. I put my shooting drills on there. I put my food on there. I put my me getting beaten at everything that I try to do because all the people I train with are better than me. Um, so that's, that's all on there. So that sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all, it's all good stuff, man. Showing your authentic self, which is the whole key here. So, so listen, Tim, this has been epic. I really appreciate the convo. I've had a few, um, uh, chats with other guys like Nate Boyer and just to hear your story any guy that's in the military I have extreme respect for many of the things that that I have done in my life <clears throat> wouldn't be possible without guys like you like including my dad who was uh, in the Air Force and uh, unfortunately no longer here with us but at the same time uh, the respect factor is extremely high so thank you for your your sacrifice and I uh, really appreciate you being on the pod no, man, thanks for having me. God bless. And uh, you guys just keep doing work. Hey, and thank you so much for listening to the Find Your Summit podcast. We are so glad to have you along for this journey. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend, share it on iTunes, spread it to the planet. We're looking to broadcast this to every person that is out there because, as you know, everybody has their own summit that they're going after. Okay, if you're looking to follow my journey, you can find that through my social links on markpattisonnfl.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-K, Pattison, P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N, NFL.com. So, until the next podcast, just remember, clear eyes, full hearts, and remember, it takes a little more to make a champion, so make it happen. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.